Thanks for tuning into the Health Scientist Podcast. I'm your host, Richie Kerwin, and today I'm going to be speaking with Amaze Maduka. Amaze is a registered nutritionist with a master's degree in clinical nutrition, a diploma in counseling, and is the founder of the health consultancy Life's Recipe. Uh, with a background in product development, Amaze now works in both the private and the public sectors with individuals and groups to help cultivate a sustainable and a healthy relationship with food. And her passion for inclusive wellness and nutrition led her to start the At Wellness in Colour on Instagram community, dedicated to supporting black and ethnic people. The conversation around race and ethnicity in nutrition is something I feel very unqualified to speak about, but it's something that I realise more and more that we need to speak about openly and publicly, especially with recent events in the United States. It's very easy for white people to forget or not even think about the fact that black and ethnic minorities can experience the world very differently to the way we do. And that can affect not only the nutrition messages they receive, but also their health in the long run. One of the outcomes of this is the fact that uh, black and ethnic minority groups suffer disproportionately from some nutrition-related conditions like diabetes and heart disease. I think conversations about this, even if they may be uncomfortable are very important for helping the nutrition community and even the healthcare community in general to better address the needs of people regardless of their colour, race or ethnicity. And that's why I was honoured to speak with Amaze about this topic because it's something she herself is dedicated to. I really, really hope you enjoy this episode and even learn something from it because I know I learned a lot from Amaze. And if you do, I'd love it if you left a rating or a review on iTunes or whatever podcast app you use. Or if you're listening on YouTube, consider hitting that like button and subscribing for more great podcasts. And if you can, please share the podcast on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or even LinkedIn. Not only do I massively appreciate it, but it helps promote the podcast to more people, which really encourages other guests to come and speak. And that means I can get even more great content out to you. And on a final note, if you know someone who you think this information could benefit, maybe a coach or someone in the industry, please let them know about it and maybe it can be of some use to them. So onto this conversation with Amaze. Let's talk science. Amaze, how are you doing? I'm well. How are you? I am very, very good. Thank you. Um, just out of curiosity, um, so uh, I learned very, very recently that uh, you are a uh would it be okay to call you an avid gardener um i would an avid gardener yeah i, I would say that i wouldn't i wouldn't call myself a professional gardener that's for sure i've just um i just like to grow veg <laughs> uh, i i think being an amateur gardener uh if that's the correct term is a perfectly uh good way of calling it um so uh just out of curiosity just because i'm a, a bit of a garden i'm calling myself a nerd but i'm not very very well educated on the topic but um i'm, I'm into gardening too um what where do you do your gardening and, and what do you grow i do my gardening in my garden and um it's a very small garden but it it does it serves me well so it has served me well especially during lockdown and the things I grow, oh gosh, um, I'm currently growing corn. So I'm growing three varieties of corn, kale. I'm trying to grow some um, pak choy, but it seems like the slugs get there before me. 
And um, I feel yeah, I feel yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to grow something um, also called Kalalu, which is like um, it's a green, it's a green that's usually used in um, Caribbean cooking as well. And meant a lot, a lot of herbs, so basil, thyme, rosemary, um, yeah, and lettuce. I could really go on courgettes. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay, okay. You're, you're winning over me already. Yeah. <laughs> no, because it, it, it was good when we were having a chat before this started. Um, you know, it's just we were talking about how fulfilling it is to actually grow things, and I think for for people who have never grown or had a garden before it's very very difficult experience to, to explain and different a difficult feeling to explain to people but it is incredibly fulfilling to just grow your own veg to see it coming out of the ground and then to eat it at the end of the ground. so it's um yeah you do feel like a proud plant parent when that happens <laughs> oh, yeah. a proud plant parent that eats their babies but you know oh, I, I, yeah. I, I, <laughs> maybe that's not the right terminology but you know <laughs> but um yeah so it, 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 i'm delighted that we that we've got that in, in common um so uh, just for anybody who might not be familiar with who you, who you are and would you mind giving us a little bit of introduction to um who you are how you got into nutrition and um your kind of career path to, to what you're doing right now yeah so my name is Ameza. i'm currently a nutritionist um i did my undergrad many moons ago in nutrition and then i went to work within product development um consumer research and then i decided to go back and do my masters in clinical nutrition so now i'm working as a full-time nutritionist and um i work within also promoting um an understanding of uh, guest diversity within healthcare as well very good um and just to kind of give everybody a little bit of an idea of what we're speaking about, um, obviously there's been a a lot happening in, let's say, the around the concept of diversity at the moment and topic of racism, um, particularly with what's been happening in the United States over these last few months. And what everybody will be kind of aware of is that there was one day or one couple of days where everybody posted a black square on their Instagram. And the big topic of discussion around that was, is posting a black square going to, to do anything at all? And if you think of it in, in, in terms of posting a square is not going to do anything, but the concept behind the square and let's say the conversation that developed from posting that is that, I think and I feel and I hope is that it made people more aware of an issue that has been going on for hundreds of years and has not gone away despite the fact that we we, we claim to live in a just and equal and modern society. And mm-hmm. I felt that it was a bit of an obligation for me to, to speak about this because I wanted to bring this to the forefront of nutrition because Nutrition, just like any other aspect of society, is an area where there can be issues with race and there can be issues with um, with diversity. And, you know, I want to kind of speak to you as a person of colour who has worked in this industry for a while. I want to kind of get an idea of your background. Um, and and there's a, a few different you know, topics that we want to cover today, you know, that, we, that we've mentioned already. But I suppose the first thing to talk about is how you ended up getting into nutrition 
and your experience of um, being a person of color uh, in this industry. Uh, and I was wondering if you could if you could talk to that for for a moment from your own experience. Yeah, I think for me. Um, getting into nutrition was a very easy decision. I knew it was something I wanted to do from a, long, a very young age, despite not going down the traditional route. Um, I loved food. I loved health. I loved the human body. And nutrition just made sense. So, um, yeah, it, that's, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful for the path I went down. And in terms of how I you know, navigated the nutrition space and um, as a black person, I think you know, it's, it's, it's different for, um, especially as, you know, people who are black and, and uh, who are of ethnic minorities who live in the UK, we do see a very much um, Eurocentric view of health of, and Eurocentric view of nutrition as well. So when we are uh, seeing, uh, you know, the, you know, even like on the Eat Well guide where you might not see uh, lots of different cultures or it being adapted to different cultures as well we have have to kind of navigate through that and actually understand that you know there are different cultures and we I think I feel like because we know that there are different cultures and we've had to navigate through that it's easier for us to sometimes navigate that and understand okay you know I remember when I was speaking to um some uh diabetic uh patients who it was just a community um program and I was just speaking to them about diabetes and the, it was a mainly Caribbean um, crowd and I remember I was uh, I was speaking about the eat well plate and you know pointing out things on the eat well guide sorry not eat well plate eat well guide and a lady said to me this doesn't make any sense to me where's my where's my foods she said she said where's where are my foods she said I don't so that does that mean I need to stop eating my plantain my chocho my yams and and I just thought wow I'm really teaching something to someone who's not even connecting with what I'm talking about and these are the people who need it the most and so I literally scrapped my presentation and just went and started speaking about uh, the, the culture that was relevant to them because you know I had that cultural awareness of the people that I was speaking to but if you don't have that and it, it will be quite difficult so yeah. So, so let's say within your within your education, within um, your your academic background, yeah, and you brought up a very very good term uh, that we spoke about earlier, which is this this Eurocentric view of of nutrition and and food and um, and, and not just nutrition and food, but also cuisine as well, uh, because like you said, when you, when you were using these examples, and if we're talking about the equal guide, it's it's a it's a it's a government guide on what people should be eating, but it's, it's, it's using very, very, you know, foods that are very specific to the UK or at least to, you know, the diets of the white majority here. Mm. Um, did you find within your education at all that there was any, let's say, kind of scope for learning more about the, the diversity of different diets within the UK? Um, not so much. I know a lot of the evidence leads to mediterranean diet so we do learn a lot about the mediterranean diet but it's important to understand that your learning doesn't stop once you get your degree anyway so i wouldn't say oh you know the universities are not doing a great job of teaching uh 
diverse diets because they can only teach what they can in that in that space of time um but the same way that we might want to specialize in something else or we continue our professional development this is also something that we need to continually learn because like i said our our learning does not stop once we um, get our degree we we just need to continue to understand this diverse world we live in we if you're living in the uk it's very diverse if you're living in um, so many other countries as well it's very diverse so it's actually our duty to understand that diversity and cater to it as well absolutely um and i think that's a really really good point that you mentioned because it's very very easy to to say um like and and i've i've just done it right now i've i've asked were there was there anything in your academic or in your university career that you know kind of covered that topic for you but you know it, it's a good point that as nutritionists as professionals it's something that we especially if we're working with populations that are you know you know black or or ethnic minority populations we need to educate ourselves about how we can better help populations like that or how we can better guide them with nutrition um i suppose one one thing that we we need to kind of get get across first is just for anybody who might not be uh familiar with the problem is why is there the why are there these issues uh with exp, you know with translating nutrition information to food recommendations for different populations uh you know one would imagine that you know just the same nutrition information is okay for everybody what's the problem with thinking like that well sorry the the problem with I'm just trying to break down your question here. <laughs> so, sorry, yeah, I I I I interrupted. Uh, so what what's what would be the problem with assuming that one nutrition message is suitable for all populations? Well, because it doesn't take into effect the 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 cultural dimensions that we live in. So um it it can also strip someone of their cultural identity as well. So I'll give the example of palm oil which is quite controversial so when the whole palm oil um uh, boycott started happening i think it was some brands were saying boycott palm oil i had conversations with people who were of west african um heritage even if um some of them were british born as well and they were so confused they were just like why do i need to boycott palm oil i don't i don't understand it's something that i'm so used to and It's important to understand that unrefined palm oil is actually native to West Africa and it's such an important crop and it it's actually contributes to um uh food security to those who need it most as well. So it can actually be dated back to 3000 BC in Egypt and it was only when the lucrative properties of palm oil were recognized by European traders that it then got introduced into um Indonesia and Malaysia which led to deforestation to make space for um well to for, to make space for the mass production of of um palm oil and these large companies actually infringe on african culture traditions and their history as well and because the palm oil trees are actually native to the west african forests because so they don't need to um cut down areas to create palm oil palm trees because they've already got them so it's not needed for its cultivation so many parts of 
West Africa still produce palm oil in the very much traditional way. And it doesn't have the same effects of the environment as in Malaysia and in Indonesia. But yet, irrespective of how it's sourced, it's being demonized in the same way. Does that, I'm hoping that makes sense. Um, but obviously, while palm oil is yeah, very much a saturated fat, and um, as with many other oils, um, and so should be consumed in moderation, some research has actually showed that it may be, it can be possibly used within a balanced diet, and, um, but obviously more research is, is needed for that. But it's also important to understand that there are so many other um, commodities such as soy, coffee, paper, um, and things like that, which also have huge environmental impacts as well, but are less demonized as well. So, no, and it, it's it's something that, like, like, like I mentioned to you when you when you said this first, it's not something I have even ever considered again because I, you know, I, I have a, again, I don't, I, I'm not going to say that my, let's say my cuisine. Uh, the, the limit of my knowledge of cuisine is limited just to what I experienced in Ireland and in the UK. You know, I, I like to think I'm a little bit uh, culinarily more diverse than that. But when we think about palm oil, and if we think about it from a Eurocentric perspective, it's very, very easy to think, oh, palm oil, it's a bad ingredient. We shouldn't eat it because of, you know, all of the environmental problems that it causes. And we have to realize that, you know, palm oil is only being produced in, you know, very, very large amounts to satisfy, let's say, you know, European or uh, American um, yeah. food production. And that's where we have this issue with um, basically large sections of rainforest getting cut down to, to start these plantations. Whereas, like you said, in, in West Africa, it's more of a traditional crop that's been grown for thousands of years and people are used to it. And then suddenly you're telling this entire group of people that you know one of the foods that they're eating is is uh, inverted commas bad um for the environment um and, and that's just like not not even you know talking about the um the health perspective of things because like you said you know anything can fit into a diet in moderation and you know uh, I, I think people can can appreciate that um one one thing that i find particularly worrying as well is in, in the UK, and I, I think this has come to the forefront a little bit more recently because of everything that's going on with COVID, um, we have seen that, for example, due to COVID, black and ethnic minorities are experiencing higher death rates from the disease, okay? And people, you know, we, we, we realize that there's probably a huge amount of socioeconomic reasons for that. But we also have to realize that uh, black and ethnic minorities are also suffering from a higher proportion of what would be traditionally considered um, more nutrition-related diseases or diseases of poor diet. And I was wondering if if you could talk to that a little bit in 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 the in your from your experience as a, a nutritionist. Just out of curiosity, what what are some of the let's say nutrition-related diseases that are you know relatively common amongst Black and ethnic minorities compared to the white majority in, in the UK? Yes, yeah, some of them are things such as type 2 diabetes, uh, cardiovascular disease, um, and uh, and some mental health issues as well. So um, those are some of the 
key ones that we do see coming up as well as uh, COVID as well. But um, yes, from a nutritional perspective, um, there are issues in that sense. You know, we do talk about uh, reduction of salt, um, reduction of saturated fats in certain foods as well. But again, it's also to remember the, and also the behaviors of the, um, of the, the population as well. So some of the things that, you know, that are quite traditional that we probably um, are quite more ingrained that just need to kind of like tweak a little bit. But then also we need to discuss the behavior of those people who are helping the population as well, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Um, and, and I suppose if we think about who's helping that population, if we think from a government's point of view, we're looking at a very predominantly white um, government. And do you think that, like, it's very, very easy to say that, um, especially with our current government, that the uh, the government is out of touch with the uh, with the actual population of the country. Do you think that, it, would it be fair to say that that's even more the case with black and ethnic minorities? I definitely think it has a big part to play, but also on a practitioner level as well. So um, I was talking to you about the the a concept called um, a power distance index. I don't know if I mentioned that, but couple. So there's two things that I wanted to talk about, which kind of interlink as well as the nutrition aspect, but we're talking about the behavior aspect. So there's something called unconscious bias or, in, or implicit bias. Um, and there's also something called the power distance index. So the unconscious bias is where you know, a, someone might be treated differently based on a preconceived notion of them. So, for example, research has shown that some white male physicians are less likely to prescribe pain medication to um, black patients than to white patients. This is not to say all um, white male physicians are less likely. This is what the research shows. Or um, another piece of research shows that some uh, physicians find that uh, black and people who are have a lower income are less intelligent or more likely to engage in risky behaviors and less likely to adhere to medical advice so they may give them less detailed advice so if we hold on to that this this um i guess unconscious bias or racism um coupled with what i mentioned which is called the power distance index and the power distance index is one pillar in understanding cultural differences. So this is where some cultures, um, I'm trying to get this right so it makes more sense. Some cultures um, accept a higher degree of unequally distributed power than some people in other cultures. So for example, those with a high power distance index are taught not to question those in authority. So, um, you know, cultures such as the African and Asian cultures are kind of known to have a high power um, distance as not to say everybody is in that culture, but it's just to say that that's kind of what it is. And those with a low power distance expect to participate in decisions that affect um, themselves. So will readily question authority. So now if we know that people with a high power distance are not really going to question um authority so when they say when we talk about authority it could be the practitioner giving advice coupled with the unconscious bias of 
possibly a physician not giving as much information to a patient based on their preconceived notion that they're not really likely to accept this information or do anything with it. So there's no, no point in me going into detail. Those two things combined can actually indirectly affect someone's health. And I'll give, let's give an example. Someone might come in to a, you know, they might have uh, pre-diabetes. They might be on the border of pre-diabetes um, and diabetes, but a practitioner might think, uh, do you know what? It's uh, just, yeah, it's fine. They, they're not diabetic. So I'm just going to give them some information and just say, no, it's okay. Don't worry. You're fine. Yeah. And then that person might not question, um, you know, what the practitioner said is like, maybe do I need to say anything else? No, no, the, the doctor has said it. It's fine. Um, it's, it's okay. And that could actually, you know, that person could go away. And then how many months later could actually, um, you know, have diabetes and then wonder, wait a minute, why didn't anybody tell me that I was even at the high level? And it's, it's something I've actually seen. I've seen when I've seen pre-diabetic patients, they would wonder, they were like, I've never ever been told anything or I've never, um, they've never sh shared anything with me. And I've, I actually saw that as something that was reoccurring, which was, it, it was a bit strange for me until I started understanding um, about unconscious bias and about um, the power distance index as well. So um, yeah, I, I hope that answered the question. I feel like I rambled on. <laughs> No, it absolutely did, and it, it, you know, you, you brought something, you know, to my attention that is something I, I was completely unaware of, and it's something that now that you mentioned it and I think about it, it makes absolute sense in the worst kind of way, um, because you've got this, these two negative factors that are coming together, and they're just making a, a situation where people, you know, you know black people or, or people from ethnic minorities who are potentially not going to get the same level of care or guidance, uh, just as you said, from, from uh, medical professionals. They're not going to get it and they're not going to question it either. And yeah. it, it, it's, it's not surprising then when you understand that people from these, you know, di different ethnic groups or people from different races are experiencing you know, more, you know, higher levels of certain diseases in this yeah. society. And, and it's, it's kind of scary as well. Um, and again, I, I'm saying that because it's not something that I, uh, uh, as a white male, have ever had to think about, um, mm. unfortunately. And, and, and I, say, I say that kind of um, in, uh, with shame, basically. Um, what do you think are... So let's say for, for these communities, for, for, for black people, for ethnic minorities, what are some of the barriers to helping these people besides that? So we, we've obviously got the, um, so can you, can you just mention that, that, that index for me again? The power distance index? The power distance index. So we've got that. We've got this um, bias within you know certain professions as well that that is causing this what can we do outside of that what, what are the what are some of the other barriers besides that that are kind of holding people back from you know getting better information or and achieving better diets and you know if we think from an end point perspective from improving their health mm. 
Um, I, I feel like how long is a piece of string? <laughs> I feel <laughs> like there are so many different factors that can come into play here. So like I said, the, the unconscious bias of whether it's the practitioner or the, um, the way that the health system is structured or just um, the, the, I guess the lack of education from, from people who provide uh, lack of culture education from people who provide care that's within the, um, within the medical field and within the, um, I guess, well-being field as well. So the same way that you would, that someone would, learn more about a certain topic is the same way that we actually need to be doing this because there is information out there and you know the how do we you know we might in our degree we will learn about the health aspect and we might not go in as much detail in let's say gut health but then you'll then do another uh, piece of training to learn more about gut health or you might do something else to learn more about this and this is kind of the same thing where we are now we have to be learning about diversity cultural um, um, differences unconscious bias all these things that actually can and that can actually interplay with people's health and um, I would I always recommend people to do some sort of I guess diversity or even just a, a sort of short course in whether it's counseling or a diversity training because you can understand what what happens is you start to understand how you are impacting someone as opposed to how the world is impacting someone you're like actually every it actually starts with me as well if I'm supposed to be helping people what how am I causing a barrier to someone else as well so it's yeah something as every practitioner should actually kind of do <laughs> um and then on a yes on a government's face on a government front yes there's so much that could be done but um yeah um yeah <laughs> so like, i think just just for anybody who you know still might not be kind of aware of of the relevance of what we're talking about now. I think one, one thing that thankfully is becoming um, much more commonplace in, let's say, evidence-based nutrition is the importance of individuality when we're, when we're working with clients and that every client is unique and every situation is different and we need to tailor whatever approaches we use to the individual. And when we're talking about diversity, we're, we're, we're saying the exact same thing. Um, so, like, for example, the, the majority of my clients have traditionally been Irish, um, but I've, I've also been blessed and, and you know, honoured to, to work with, with people from a number of other countries and a number of other backgrounds. And it was only from working with these people that I realised, oh, wow, I need to do things considerably different here when I'm given some recommendations because, and I think I was actually, I was on a podcast two weeks ago and I was speaking to another Irishman and uh, we were talking about this, you know, tailoring diets to people's needs and i thought if you gave a traditional irish person because i'm from a tiny village in ireland if you gave somebody from my village uh a diet and said okay i'm going to put you on rice cakes and chicken yeah. breast which is so different from a traditional diet and i, I describe the irish diet as being um what should i say spuds and stew and uh <laughs> and i said it's, it's exactly the same thing when we think about diversity. And we have to think about what ingredients does somebody eat on a regular basis? 
what foods does somebody have access to in in their locality? What can people get? Yeah. Because it, I think on on, um, on Instagram and I think social media is a, a great example of this. We have this kind of very very and you use the word Eurocentric uh, view of what nutrition should be, and it's all smoothie bowls and superfoods yeah. and stuff like that. But yeah. Nobody eats like that except for you know like thin white hipster chicks and I, I'm, I'm using that word specifically to define an, a specific type of individual that eats that food because it's not what the general population it's not what real human beings eat no it's exactly what you're saying but what happens is I, I hear so many people who say oh you know I just had like a kale celery smoothie and it's like are you telling me that because you think that that's what it means to be healthy? I, I do. I'm not going to congratulate you for like trying all these, you know, it's, it's great that you're trying new stuff, but is that something that you is sustainable for you? And it's, it's something that, um, what I always say to um, people is that, because uh, I've, I've heard some practitioners who've said, well, but they won't know until they try. Like it's not, it's no harm to, introduce these new things to people and it's it's not it's not harmful to introduce new things to people but if you are then um tailoring a patient's diet or a you know your recommendations based on your limited knowledge of their cultural foods that actually pigeonholes them into your lack of knowledge as opposed to the other way around where you need to be tailoring your advice to their um culture and and their understanding and their world view as well so that's something that definitely needs to be addressed there you know we have to understand um you know what other people are eating what other people what 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 actually people like and what they're used to and something that's not too foreign for them and too far removed so yeah no uh, like uh, absolutely and and I think just because this this is the nutrition field, it, it, it can almost be easy to think, you know, mistakenly that uh, whatever is kind of weird and whatever is kooky and whatever doesn't taste particularly nice is supposed to be fantastic for your health. And I think, again, thankfully, we're moving away from that perspective and we're moving on to more sustainable diets, like, like, like you mentioned, which is the end goal. Because, you know, we're, I think if we're working with people, we're not just kind kind of giving people quick fixes and say try this you'll you know you'll lose weight or you will you know in, improve your health in, in a certain way and then two weeks down the line they're like okay i can't do this anymore i i, I want something that's actually edible yeah absolutely um and so I'm, I'm just wondering is this something that you as a nutritionist have the opportunity to speak with with colleagues who are not from black or ethnic minority backgrounds? Is it something that you get to speak with? And is, is it something, how do you navigate a conversation with people to bring up the importance of this and, and to make them aware of this as, as an issue? Well, I'll definitely say post June 2nd, I think it was, post Black Square Day or Blackout Day, um, it has been much easier. I think it was very much a conversation that it was quite difficult to have pre pre June 2nd because it wasn't really a, a conversation that was 
on people's minds and everybody knew that you know uh, diversity is great but how are we actually doing it on a you know proper level and so now it's much easier to have the conversation because people have done their research some you know some people have been reading have been doing more research so it's easier to not start from a maybe we can start from like d because you've now met me a little bit the way there so now we can actually have this conversation but um i think it's definitely going to take a bit more time to understand how we can do this more on a i guess on a structural basis but the conversations that are just having that i have had with people and um i guess it's just within their sphere so for example i've been having some conversations with an organization who are very much willing to um adapt what they're doing to become more diverse so it's then working with um that company on within that sphere so then if it's another company someone you know can work within the other sphere as well if that makes sense um but yeah absolutely i i think it's like you mentioned there's a long way to go with this this is again unfortunately it's been a problem for hundreds of years and it's a problem that's still here and it's 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 not something that we can expect to go away overnight and you know i think what happened on june 2nd i just think it's very very unfortunate that we needed you know everything that happened in the lead up to that basically um uh, with with george floyd uh i i think the fact that we needed that to happen to start changing people's opinions and people's ways of thinking is it, it, it is a very very sad reality mm-hmm. um moving away from kind of like the specifics of working with diet you know in nutrition with people um uh from from different backgrounds you yourself obviously you're a nutritionist now um and in my experience at least my experience here in the UK when i think of a nutritionist i think of a mostly white field and and at that mostly uh white women because um with all the nutrition conventions that i've gone to uh here in the UK or in Ireland uh, or in other countries the rooms are are generally all white women with a a small a very very small amount of um minority populations in there for you choosing to go into the field of nutrition was was there ever any difficulty uh for you in making that decision because of 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 your race or your background oh when i didn't when i decided to be a nutritionist i didn't think about race at all because i just wanted to be a nutritionist like it was it just wasn't something that was um top of mind or even thinking about it it was only once i you know graduated and i started going to events that i realized oh i'm i'm not i you know I, I, there's no many there's not many people here that that look like me but but it didn't really deter me per se in terms of navigating the space however i i understand that it can actually deter many people because there's this saying that you know you can't be what you can't see or i would probably say it's hard to be what you can't see so if if somebody does 
you know, see, all they see is just white faces and they can't relate to maybe what the person's saying or just the same background as the person. They might not be able to relate in that sense. It, it might not encourage them to continually <laughs> to continue to stay there. Um, whether that's within a conference or within a wellbeing event, um, you, you might, it might deter some people from attending because they don't see what they can be if that makes sense so you know we might we might see let's say if we go to a well-being event for example and someone might be talking about hair or hair nutrition let's say and or just hair in general you will have you might have a, a black person who has afro hair like mine you know very coily and things like that but then they're they're talking about uh something that doesn't actually relate to them so you won't really stay there because you're just like oh that's not for me that's that's not for me that's for the other people and that kind of if you then translate that to um you know a different conference or things like that some people might then think this is not for me and because I can't really see myself represented it might not be for me yeah yeah no I uh, like I'm delighted that like you never, it, it was never an issue for you because it, it's great to know what you want to do um, and to be able to just go for it. But just like you said there, when, when you went to events and you, you did notice that you were, you know, like, you know, there weren't many other people of, of, of color there. I don't know how to, to, to word this, but how did you feel about that? Like, is it a lonely experience or is it a worrying experience or is it, is it a saddening experience? What is it? It's a, it's an, it's an interesting experience, especially as um, a nutritionist, because I do wonder if I'm a nutritionist and I feel like, Oh, I feel like I felt like a sore thumb here. I wonder then what I then think is how will somebody who is coming here, who needs some help or who, is coming here to learn something might feel. And I'm not saying everyone will feel that way. It's just, I do wonder and I do question, how are we supporting our um, black and ethnic people who come into this space who might want to feel supported in that way? So it's, it's I, I, always, I always find that it's, it was sad. I think it was sad to see that, especially knowing that there are so many um black professionals who could have easily been there and done the job and been a speaker over there and things like that so yeah it was it was a bit disappointing i would say yeah yeah um i i i, I was wondering as well and, and you've kind of you brought up one side of the coin that i want i want to speak about because for people who are going to look for information and if they go to let's say a, a nutrition clinic um, where there are, you know, if somebody comes from a, a, a different ethnic background, for example, and they go to a clinic that is just filled with people of a completely different ethnic background to them that has no understanding of their culture, of their, of anything going on in their life, do you think it is going to be a lot more difficult for those people to go and seek help in the first place? It could be. There, there definitely could be. Um, that factor I know that more research is needed in that but I think a lot of people kind of felt like feel like that's their only choice as well 
So now that, you know, we're seeing more um, uh, professionals being showcased post June 2nd, people now realise, and actually, oh gosh, there are people who could understand me a bit better. And I, I remember my, even myself, I, I, I remember having to, when it came to certain, like if it came to a hair person or a, a lash person or something like that, I would make sure that I would go to someone who understands um, my hair or my um, certain, you know, things just because I've had experiences of using someone who didn't understand me as a black person and not having the, the quality treatment that I needed. So for example, um, if someone doesn't know how to deal with Afro hair or if someone doesn't understand that our lashes might have a different curl pattern. And this is totally, I know this is totally girl stuff. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. Like, I, I get you. I, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. I had the same issues when I moved to Liverpool. I got you. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, it's like, and even with skin as well, like um, black skin is, um, it just it just needs to be treated differently. Um my esthetician is black as well um and she understands black skin so much more than if i was to go to someone else who might not have understood black skin but it's just it's just i always i keep feel like i get away from your questions <laughs> but um, <laughs> but no it's 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 like it's literally like that there's there's yeah i yeah i feel like i'm just going to be rambling on this no but i i think that's actually a perfect example um and the, the the makeup example or you know you want to work with an esthetician or a hairstylist that is familiar with you know your skin type with mm. your hair type that knows how to do this for you because you know for somebody who okay as a, a male who never thinks about things like this at all i don't think about okay what kind, uh, you know, somebody asked me for, oh, where can I get foundation? And I'm like, uh, oh, yeah, just there's a there's a, a, a beauty shop down the road. But, you know, they might not have the right products that somebody needs. And it's something that we need to think about because people will have different needs based on where they're from. But kind of, like I said, there was two sides to this coin. And one on the flip side of that was, do you, have you ever had an experience where you have had somebody who has come to you for help um, uh, or do you feel that maybe you have not had as many people coming to you for help because you're, you're black and, and because of you, you're having a different background? Do you think that has ever kind of prevented people or been a barrier to other people coming to you at all? Has that ever occurred? Possibly. But I wouldn't know <laughs> because if they didn't come to me, then I wouldn't know. But, you know, we know that there is an unconscious bias that exists within people. You know, we know that um, black people are perceived in a different way. And, um, you know, if you see a, a group of black boys somewhere, you might feel like they're a gang where they actually just might be just a group of boys who just want to, you know, black boys who just want to meet up. So we know that there are these um, these biases that exist. And so I, I wouldn't be able to tell you if somebody hasn't come to me because I'm black because they wouldn't come to me. So, <laughs> but if they don't come to me, I'm, I, I'm, you know, it's, I can't, 
do anything about that in that sense. Um, I can only educate those who want to be educated. And if they want to come to me or another black person, then great. But if not, then probably don't really want to, they will, I don't really want them to be my client anyway, if that makes exactly. sense. You, you don't want to associate with them anyway. Um, I, don't, uh, I think none of us do. Um, I, I, I think this whole concept of unconscious bias, which, which is a very, very easy concept to grasp. Um, but I, I, I think that it's not something that we, um, and when I say we, I'm going to speak about, let's say, you know, white people who have never experienced any form of racism or discrimination. It's not something that we're, we ever think of. We, we automatically assume that, you know, oh, no, I'm, I'm not racist. Uh, I'm completely, I'm not biased in anything that I do. And it's not that simple. I will, and, and, you know, it, it, I, um, I, like I said this to you when we had the conversation, I, I feel incredibly unqualified to be having this conversation. Um, but it's a conversation that I want to have because I need to learn more and I hope that it promotes or it encourages other people to learn more and to just realize that, you know, diversity within nutrition is something that we need to think about. It's something that we need to have conversations about. And I think the more conversations we have, the closer that we can get to our end point with whatever that may be. Um, for people who want to learn a little bit more or who want to, let's say, start thinking more about their unconscious biases, is there anything that you would recommend they do? Um, and especially I'm talking about people within the nutrition profession. Is there anything that you would recommend to people to kind of help them, you know, just to, 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 to deal with some of the issues that we've spoken about today? I would definitely say um, research more on unconscious bias, on on what or even there's so many research papers on uh, racial disparities within healthcare and understanding what actual racial disparities, what, what, the, what does that even mean? And what does that look like as well? So whether it's the, um, the fact that five... Um, Black people are more likely, five times more likely to die in childbirth than the white counterparts or, um, like I said, about the pain medication. So these are all, this is all research that is out there. Um, so just look at, read up, read up on those things and then start to question your own bias as well. And even I also, um, if you are seeing clients or you put on events or you, you know, you, 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 do things that welcome the public even just start to take note of okay what's going on what am I seeing what does that mean so if you see a client for example and you're doing your reflective notes afterwards or something like that you could then reflect on okay how did I treat this patient um and this is something I had to do as well um how did I treat this patient did I did I respect the certain boundaries did I actually based on you know is it that because I didn't feel like they were they understood me correctly did I then just brush them off like quickly um just those little things that you can analyze about yourself and then also understanding the you know what the research is out there combining the two then to kind of develop yourself as a person and so you can then 
help the world <laughs> in the in the in that sense so it's very much changing each person so that we can all together just change as a as a um nation and a global community as well i i think it's it's very very easy uh for some people to ignore a problem when it doesn't affect directly upon them mm-hmm. um and and that is in itself a major problem um but i i think the first thing for people to do is realize that there is a major problem and when you start learning about it you start moving in the right direction um uh, uh amazing i i just want to say i i really really appreciate you coming on uh, and speaking so candidly with me about this it, I, 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 like we are genuinely only like scratching the surface of of something that you know it, it is a major issue globally and within all fields but you know like today specifically within within the field of nutrition um and to a, a certain extent public health um just just for anybody who, who might want to to kind of uh, learn more about you or follow you uh, what are some of the best ways to do that Yeah so you can find me on Instagram at lifes_recipe um where I generally share lots of nutrition tips cultural diversity tips and um gardening tips also but <laughs> <laughs> but yeah I think that's the main um area and then if anybody wants to contact me you can find the links via Instagram as well so That's going to include those links in the show notes as well. Uh amazing. Uh, I just want to say thank you so much um for speaking with me today um and for opening my eyes a little bit more and I really hope um uh everybody else uh has learned something from it today too because I definitely have. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the Health Scientist podcast. I really hope you've enjoyed and maybe even learned something from what we spoke about today. And if you did, I'd love it if you could leave a rating or a review on iTunes or whatever podcast app you use, or maybe even share a link on social media, in your Instagram stories, Facebook, Twitter, even LinkedIn. It really helps spread word of the podcast, which means I can continue to get great guests to speak about different topics in health, which means more content for you. It really means a huge amount to me personally too. If you ever want to watch one of the podcasts live or ask questions to any of the guests, you can do so by following me on Instagram at be more nutrition. That's at b underscore more underscore nutrition. And I'd love to hear your comments and feedback about the podcast. So please comment on the podcast post or feel free to drop me a message directly. And if you ever have a suggestion for a guest that you'd like to hear, please do let me know. I'll be back soon with another podcast. See you then.